you have a Bible, we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. So I say to you, hear the word of God. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, I do pray that you would come and you would open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. Pray that you would be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Let me ask you this. Have you, are you familiar with the term peephole driving? I, if you're not, I, I think I might have invented it. I used it, <laughs> I used it a few years ago. What do I mean by peephole driving? Well, you know, many of you know I just got back from um, sabbatical. And basically on sabbatical, at some point in, during my sabbatical, our daughter, middle daughter, had a child in Alabama. And I thought it would be this great idea to drive across country. So I did. I, you know, so I left Seattle and went from Seattle and went uh, the northerly route you know, through Montana and the Dakotas. And then you basically take I-90 until you can't go any further. And then you hang a right all the way down to Alabama. That was great. I had a great time. Driving home, I thought, wow, I'll do just the opposite. In other words, instead of, instead of going from west to east and south, I would go from, from east to west and then north. And it was great through Mississippi and Arkansas and Oklahoma and even Colorado. Wyoming, not so much. In fact, Wyoming, at some point, I found myself driving in the middle of this terrible, severe winter weather warning storm that was so bad. I mean, it was 23 degrees outside. My all-wheel drive gave out. Trucks were driving by, and everything that would splash on my windshield would immediately freeze. It was, it was so bad. It was so bad. At some point, I, I texted my wife, and I said, Judy, this is going to sound morbid, but here's where all of our passwords are. Here's where all of our documents are. Trust me. I mean, it was so bad. At some point, I, I started to wonder, okay, if I careen off the edge of a cliff here, because it's all cliffs as well, and wind is going about 30, 40, 50 miles an hour, I thought, if I go off the edge of this cliff and I survive, is there going to be enough whiskey to get me through a few days? And by, by whiskey, by the way, I mean, I mean my dog named Whiskey. Little known fact, carriers are both cuddly and nutritious. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so he was getting nervous as well because he didn't know how this was going to end. And how did I survive? I survived by peephole driving. I was driving by looking at a tiny little peephole going about 25 miles an hour for about 400 miles. It took me about 13 hours in one day. 
to get through Wyoming. It was miserable. Now, what's interesting is you begin to think about it. The way that most of us go through life is by peephole driving. We're overwhelmed with cares. We're overwhelmed with the things on our list. We're overwhelmed all the, with all of our guilt and all of our shame and all the things we should have done and all the things we're grieving and all the things we've lost. They just sort of pile up on our windshield and we sort of drive looking for little glimmers of hope. And we do that especially at Christmas time or Advent. At Advent, most of us, our windshields are completely covered and we get this little glimpse and all we can see through the peephole is sort of the manger. And we say, wow, that's great. That, that's enough to sustain me. The goal of this Advent series is to sort of help us clean off our windshield some. To help us move through life, not as peephole drivers, not just looking at the baby and saying, wow, gee, you know, Christmas is great. I'm going to have joy for a week or two, and then I'm going to go back to peephole driving again, looking at other stuff. It's to get to, to clean off our windshield substantially. And when, one of the things we've done here is that we've actually... Um, if you remember, last week we started looking at the Gospel of Matthew as far as for our Advent series, and we looked at the genealogy of, that Matthew gives us of Jesus, and we looked specifically at four women in that genealogy. But we did something different. See, typically when you look at the genealogy of Jesus and you consider these four women, we say, wow, look at this, women are included in the genealogy of a Jewish man. That's important. Or, wow, sinners are in this genealogy. Or, wow, Gentiles are in the genealogy of Jesus. All of that is important. We look and say, who was included in the genealogy of Jesus? What I tried to do last week is not only say who was included, specifically these women, but what happened to them. What happened to them that wasn't their fault? What happened to them in their lives that Jesus redeemed? You see, a lot of our problems in our life and a lot of the way we react to things around us is not just because of who we are, but because of what happened to us. And not until we come to grips with what happened to us can we start to become more and more of who we are. So, for example, um, you know, on sabbatical, um, I did 30 weeks of therapy in 10 days. Right? I'm an overachiever, I get that. Nonetheless, <laughs> 30 weeks, and really what it dealt with was what had happened to me. I had a pretty tough childhood. And only when I dealt with what had happened to me could I begin to see how Jesus redeemed it. In, in other words, if something happened to me, I can walk through life angry. If I look and I see how Jesus has redeemed it all, I can begin to actually be free of those things. And so what we're trying to look at in this series, but also in the people we're looking at, is what happened to them and how has Jesus redeemed it? When you look at your own life, what has happened to you? How is Jesus redeeming it? Today we're looking at a guy that, that, to whom a bunch of stuff happened that wasn't his fault. That, a, a guy who ended up being on the run as, as basically a fugitive and a guy who had to become an exile and a guy who had to become a refugee and a guy who had to raise someone else's child. All of that, it wasn't his fault. And the question is, can Jesus redeem it? Did Jesus redeem it? Spoiler alert, yes. Who are we talking about? Joseph. Joseph, in my opinion, is the unsung hero of the, the, the birth of Jesus. In fact, everything in Matthew chapter 1 and 2 is because of Joseph, humanly speaking. When they have to flee, when they have to go to Egypt, when they have to do all of these things, this guy who really fades into obscurity, ultimately, he is responsible for all of it. So today we're going to focus specifically on Joseph and his experience. We're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at basically a covenantal conundrum. We're going to look at a hope 
realized, and we're finally going to look at a step of faith. So a, a covenantal conundrum, a hope realized, and a step of faith. So when we talk about a covenantal conundrum, let me read to you the first few verses again. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, they came to get, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay? So what is going on here? Basically, think about this. Matthew says, now here's how the birth of Jesus Christ happened. Now, before Mary took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together. Now, what's going on here? They were, first of all, Mary and Joseph were betrothed. What does that mean? What does that mean in this context? Right, betrothal in the ancient Near East basically would have been an arrangement between Joseph and Mary's father when she was about 12 or 13 years of age. Right, it would, it would have been arranged, and they would, he would have provided probably a bride price. It would have all been taken care of, and so Joseph and Mary would have been betrothed, and that's more than our engagement. Right, in, in the modern West, in the USA, an engagement is sort of like, meh, like you're engaged and you get it happy and excited and then you can get unengaged if you want and no one thinks twice about it. Not so in Jesus' day. When you were betrothed to someone, that was functionally the equivalent of becoming married to them. You would get betrothed and about a year you would be apart like the woman would live in her father's house for a year and then a year later you would move in, the woman would move into the, to her husband's house, they would consummate the marriage and it would be a done deal. But the only way to break a betrothal would be with a certificate of divorce. Now, what's also uh, important to keep in mind is that in, to the Hebrews, um, and even to us to some extent, the marriage was deeply covenantal, right? Covenants are all through the Old Testament. The, the way God deals with us is with covenants, and the way marriage happens is with covenants, right? When I do a wedding and you get to do the vows, what do the vows say? I do promise and covenant. Right? So I'm not just bringing a covenant. I, I promise in covenant before God and these witnesses that God is holding me account to keeping this particular promise. So marriage is specifically, in a Hebrew worldview, would be particularly covenantal. And the only way, really, you could break it would be like adultery. And so here's the conundrum. Mary is pregnant, but she has not had sex with a man. In other words, Mary is pregnant, but she has not broken covenant. What does that mean for her? But like how, what is Joseph supposed to do with that? Does he, is he going to believe her? Is that a believable thing? Mary has not broken covenant, but she is actually pregnant. Fortunately for her, Joseph was a just man. Notice what it says about him. It says her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put him to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. That, that phrase where it says Joseph was a just man is one of those words I think we just read over very quickly and yet it makes sense of this whole text. What does it mean to say that Joseph was a just man? Well, first of all, it means he's a, a, as a, a just man is someone who loved God. A just man is someone who loved and obeyed God's word. A just man is someone who shows compassion for the weak and the homeless and the, the fatherless and the widow. And a just man is deeply concerned with being a covenant keeper. And so Joseph looks at Mary and says, wow, she broke covenant with me, but since I'm a just man, in this sense compassionate, I don't want to put her to shame, I'm going to divorce her quietly. 
Well, something happens that, that puts the ball back in his court that makes the conundrum not Mary's, but makes it his. In, in other words, he, it says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In, in other words, the conundrum for Joseph is, what if she's telling the truth? Even before the angel shows up. What if she is telling the truth? Because if she is telling the truth, you see, it's also a breach of covenant to falsely accuse someone of, of breaking covenant. In, in other words, if, you, if you're a man and you're betrothed to a virgin and you just want to get out of the marriage and you accuse her of not being a virgin anymore, but she really is, you're now a covenant breaker. So Joseph, the man who desperately wants to be a covenant keeper, is now has this conundrum, like, what if she's telling the truth? If she's telling the truth, then I have to enter into this. And if, if she's not telling the truth, then I'm going to be a covenant breaker. What's going on here? And the angel shows up and says, Joseph, do not be afraid. What was Joseph afraid of? We don't know exactly what he's afraid of. We can guess. We can guess he was, he's afraid of scandal. We, we could guess he was afraid of, of public ridicule. We could guess that he was a, a sh afraid of being ashamed or afraid of any number of things. Maybe he just didn't want to be some, the, the father of someone else's kid from her adultery. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Why? He said, don't be afraid because it says, as he considered these things, verse 20, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So in that one moment, the, this angel of the Lord puts the ball in Joseph's court. Joseph, Mary isn't, she isn't a covenant breaker. The question is whether or not you're going to be a covenant breaker. The question is whether or not you are going to do what I've asked you to do. And the angel, what's interesting to me is the angel doesn't then provide a bunch of proofs or a bunch of evidence that what he says is true, right? He doesn't say, I know it seems wild that she is, is that this birth is a virgin birth and that Isaiah has talked about it. He doesn't say, now here's all the proofs, here's all the science behind how that may have happened or may have not happened, or here's all of the things. He doesn't go into an apologetic uh, discourse with Joseph. Instead, he appeals to Joseph's hopes and dreams. Why? Because Joseph is a just man. If Joseph it, it loves God, if he obeys God, if he longs for, for the things of God, the angel, instead of saying, here's how all this could happen, he says, let me talk about your hopes and dreams for a moment. And he talks about the, the hope realized in this child. He says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, think about this. A just man, Joseph, if he was really a godly just man, he would have grieved his sins. He would have longed for Messiah. He would have longed for shalom to be, to be restored in the world. In other words, shalom had been broken. Things are not the way they are supposed to be because of sin. And he would have longed for that, just like we do. Don't you and I long for a day when we don't have to deal with all the things that go on around us or the things that go on in us? And he says, Joseph, do not be afraid because the child is from the Holy Spirit. But then he says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And I 
this part make, makes me laugh sometimes. He says, you should call his name Jesus. And then he has to give the reason. Now, why did he give the reason? Well, was it for us just so we know that? I mean, if you think about it, remember I told you I, I went to see our middle daughter had a baby. Well, I don't know how long pregnancies are, nine and a half, ten months. It took them ten months and a few days to name that child. I mean, I was sending names all the time. Fail, 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 fail. Nope, 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 nope. Now, mind you, I had three successes. One of them had the kid. It took forever to name the child. Why? Because you want your kid's name to mean something. You want your kid's name to be special. You want your kid's name, really, a lot of it to be unique. Right? If, if everyone's being named Joe, you don't want to name your kid Joe. And think about in the context here, everyone, all the little boys in Jerusalem, all the little boys in Bethlehem, everyone named their kid Jesus. Everyone. It was the, maybe the least unique name in the ancient Near East, at least if you were Hebrew. Because remember, they've, they've been under, they've been in exile, they've been in oppression under the Romans, and the word, the name Jesus means God saves. In Hebrew, it would be Joshua. And so everyone would name their kid, God saves, God saves, God saves. And I can imagine if you're a father saying, man, don't tell me I would name my kid Jesus. Everyone's named Jesus. And the angel says, you shall name him Jesus because he shall actually do what his name says. Right? Those other kids are named Jesus because they're hoping this will happen. Your kid will name Jesus because he will make it happen. All of the things you've longed for, Jesus, oh, J Joseph, all of the things for which you have hoped your whole life will be fulfilled in this child. All of those times you sat outside the temple wondering if, uh, on the Day of Atonement if the priest had been successful and if your sins were forgiven. All of that. This kid. The one who will be your kid by adoption. He will save his people from their sins. He will be the one who will, will fulfill the promise made to Abraham that in him all the families of the earth will be blessed. In him all the nations will come. That's him. That's your kid, Jesus. You're going to name him Jesus because he's going to do that. You're going to name him Jesus because the covenant God made with David will be realized in him. Remember God promised David that you will have a son who will sit upon the throne forever. Jesus, this kid. That's why I want you to name him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. And not only that, the other hope that will be realized here. From the very beginning of the Bible till the very end of the Bible, from Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 all the way to Revelation 22, there is one great hope in the Bible that is, that is talked about over and over and over again, is promised over and over and over again, and that is that God will dwell with his people. In other words, we have a God who doesn't say, here's what eternity is going to be like. I'm going to sit way off here in the throne, and you guys are going to sit way over there and just worship me, and it's going to be awesome. God's desire for his own people is that he would dwell with them. And in this person, Jesus, in your child, he will be also named Emmanuel because he will be God with us. He will be God in the flesh. He will dwell with his people physically here and ultimately he will dwell with them in eternity in new heavens and new earth with them. That's the child that you are having. What's it going to be, Joseph? What are you going to do? Think about all of the pressure <laughs> on this guy. Imagine like, you know, sometimes you think, what have I gotten myself into? He probably 
worked out this deal with Mary's father, and Mary was probably a beautiful young girl, and she's probably very godly, and he just had all these hopes and dreams also about his life and how it was going to be quiet, and he was going to be financially secure, and he was going to have a great business, and he was going to do all of these things. And in the twinkling of an eye, he has to make a decision. What's it going to be? You're going to, are you going to stick with the woman who, who, in whom all of your hopes and dreams and in whom all the dreams of everyone in the world are going to be realized, or are you going to walk away? Well, we know the answer because Joseph is a just man. In other words, the, the choosing of Joseph is just as important as the choosing of Mary. We tend, I think we tend to overlook Joseph. But if Joseph was not a just man, if Joseph was not a good man, then this whole story would have been quite different. We can't even imagine, right? In Narnia, we're not allowed to ask what might have been, only what is. But God actually chose out of all the human race, not only Mary, but he also chose by grace Joseph, who was a just man. And we know the story, right? Joseph decides to take a step of faith. All covenant keeping, by the way, is not about law. It's not about, like, you better do this, but it's about, am I going to trust the promises of God? He believes, he trusts, and so what does he do? As he takes this step of faith, notice in verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So he wakes up, and it says, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. Now, that doesn't mean he took her sexually. It just means he took her in. He, t- he took her as a wife, and he did not know her until after Jesus was born, which as a side note, that is a sort of an argument against the perpetual virginity of Mary, that and the fact that Jesus had lots of brothers and sisters. Either way, um, notice that it says he knew or not, and he called his name Jesus. Now, when he named him Jesus, that not only was an act of obedience, but also what that did was it made Jesus his son, and it made him legally Jesus, son of Joseph, son of David. In other words, Jesus came through the line of David biologically through Mary, but he came through the line of David legally, which was actually the important part through Joseph. And so that was it. The, 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 the die had been set. And now I want you to think about how important Joseph was and yet how obscure he, tend, he ends up being. He does all these important things and then he fades into being. And we think, wow, poor Joseph. He, got, he didn't get any credit for all that. But I, think about how Joseph is. I've thought about this before, what it's like for Joseph now in heaven. You know, if you're a parent and you have children, most parents, most healthy parents at least, not only want to see their children do better than them, but they want to see their, they, they rejoice to see their children do better than them or do bigger things or other. Like, you know, I, I was in the army and people are like, wow, that's cool. You did this and that in the army. Well, you, you know, I love telling them, yeah, but I did this, but my daughter just, you know, she's about to graduate West Point. She t- didn't just take it to another level. She took it up like to another, another level, right? And I'm just sit back, and, you know, my buttons are popping off of my chest. Now imagine you're Joseph, and everyone in heaven is ranting about this guy named Jesus, and they're worshiping this guy named Jesus, and you just sit there with a big old grin on your face. Why? Look at right there. That's your kid, that's God. I know, isn't that crazy? I raised him. I did that. Poor Joseph. Isn't he just Joseph, the carpenter's son? 
Poor, obscure Joseph, who no one talks about. Poor, obscure Joseph, who no one even thinks about anymore. He's up in heaven right now saying, that's, that's my kid right there. Buttons popping off his chest. Big old grin. Don't feel sorry for Joseph. Rather, ask yourself, how, how can an, a, a simple act of covenant keeping be so world-changing? That's what Joseph represents to us. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray this morning that as we consider Joseph, we would be reminded of the son that he raised. As we consider Joseph, we would be reminded that, that there are good men and there are good women who, who do your will, who love you, and, and follow Christ. And I pray that we would be like Joseph, frankly. In Christ's name, we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen.